there's a lot of things in that verse in John 1.14. And uh, let's look at, uh, we're going to read verses 1, 2, and 3, and then jump down to verse 14. John chapter 1. And these, this is the word of God. It's got a lot in just simple sentences. John 1, 4, 1 verse 1, down to verse 3, and then down to verse 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14. Now we're talking about the word. The word, verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we talk about Christmas, that is the Christmas story. Matthew calls him uh, Emmanuel, born of a virgin. Uh, Luke calls him the Son of God. Here, John calls him the Word. So John personally knew Jesus Christ while Jesus was on this earth. Uh, probably more intimately than than most anybody else uh, during those last three and a half years. And so he writes this gospel. He writes the gospel of John. And at the very beginning, John tries to summarize the Trinity, the deity, the eternality, and the purpose for Jesus' coming. Uh, and it's here that we hear about this, this phrase called the word. I want to explore, you know, why does he call him the word? What, what is so big deal about that? And, and the truth is, that baby in a manger was the invisible word of God that became a real, living, breathing human being who dwelt among us just as he, uh, just because he loved us and wanted to save us. That's the word of God becoming flesh. No wonder we Christians love Christmas because it's what started everything that's good in our lives. So when we talk about the Christmas story, we start with this, start, look for there in verse one. And I want to see some things about the word becoming flesh. Verse one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. So when he talks about the word, he's talking about something that's not just pages in the Bible. He's more than that. He is a person. When you think of a word, a word is something that is spoken, written, said, or uttered, unless it's texted or posted or, or emailed today, but words. Our words are just sounds that come out of our larynx, okay? Now, guys have very pronounced larynx. It's called your Adam's apple, but that's where the sound vibrates from. But this word that John is writing about is a hymn. Look in verse 3. I look at verse 4, sorry. Well, look at verse 3, sorry. And all things were made by, not in it, but by him. Okay? So this word that John is writing about is a person. He was present at the beginning of everything. He literally was at the time and the place of the beginning. Uh, when, when time and space and matter all began, the word was already there. He was when, when, you know, it's just nice to be somewhere when something begins. And he was there. He was with God, the Bible says, which is a crazy concept. The Bible says, and the word was with God. So that's going to help us understand 
that there's something about God that is bigger than we'll ever understand. It's called the Trinity. He was with God, and then he clears it all up. He says, and the word was God. You can't get any clearer than that. This person, the eternal, is the, is, is the eternal and almighty God of heaven. Go to John chapter 14. You're already in the gospel of John. John chapter 14, verse 7. <clears throat> we know verse 6. We'll start in verse 6. John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, he's talking to Thomas there, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we have Jesus, we have the Father. Verse 7. If you had known me, you should have known the Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. What a statement. You've seen God the Father. Verse 8. Philip saith unto him, wait a minute, Lord, show us the Father. And it suffices us it'll satisfy us verse 9 jesus saith unto him have i been so long with long time with you and yet hast thou not known me philip he that has seen me has also seen the father how sayest thou then show us the father how can you say that when i've been standing here all this time but back to john chapter one he's all these things but he's also he says in verse three all things were made by him, as we're going to see, he was the creator. Well, let's go back to this thought here also, that Jesus was the word of God. The sound of that voice just exploded off of that mountain and out of that mountain, around that mountain, so much so that people cried out and said, stop, we'll die if he continues to talk. That was the word of God. Also, that same word spoke to Noah and says, Noah, I'm about to destroy everything. And Noah got up and got busy building an ark. That voice was powerful. This word spoke to and through every writer and every prophet that wrote in the pages of the scripture. And one of these days, this word is going to roar out of the heavens and come back as king of kings and lord of lords. His name is called the word of God. He's part of the Trinity. Okay. Reread there, look in verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 1, he says, and the word was God. I don't know if you understand it. Maybe you do. I don't. It's incomprehensible. It is not um, understandable. But we are talking about God being a trinity. We're not describing two gods, Jesus a God and the Father God, but two persons of the Godhead. I need you in John. I want you to go all the way to the right, almost to Revelation. Find a uh, a book in your Bible called 1 John. And I want to show you a verse that's not in a lot of Bibles today. They've deleted it. But 1 John 5, 7 says this. <clears throat> 1 John 5, 7. Sound like they're having a lot of fun back there. Today, amen. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven. To bear record means they agree with one another. They coexist with one another. The Father, notice what it says. What's the next, for, next, sentence, uh, next word? The Word and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. Notice God the Father. Then God the Word. He's not the Son yet. Not in heaven. 
and God the Holy Ghost. And these three are a trinity. They are one. Now, nobody will ever be able to explain the trinity. I've used different things, like you show an egg, you've got the shell, you've got the yolk, and you've got the white of the egg. But it, it's, it's, it's one, but they're three, and you can separate them. God can't be separated. This, this, to, to try to describe the Trinity is impossible, but that's because he's infinitely greater than us than anything we could ever comprehend. Now, it's, um, what is amazing is that John says the word is a person, not an idol, not a force, but God. And that verse, un, un, uh, strangely enough, I know why, but that verse is missing out of most modern Bibles. So make sure you check your Bible. It's got all the verses in there, okay? He's part of the Trinity. So I did a little diagram. We all understand there's a God, right? There's a creator. And there are a lot of people who will admit that. And they'll go, okay, there's a creator. But they don't want to know him personally. They don't think that he's anything or anyone that you have to really worry about. But you do because God is called the Father. He's the originator of everything that we have. And there's also the Word, and then we know the Holy Ghost, as we read there in 1 John. All three of these are all interconnected. They're one. And there was a day where the Word becomes the Son. And that's Christmas when the Word became flesh. And, um, oh boy, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Go back to uh, Gospel of John because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I'm not here. <laughs> Gospel of John, verse 3, chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. This word, now how many have a Bible in your hand? That is called the word of God, right? Now one of these days I'd love to preach you a message, compare the written word with the living word, okay? And you find out how close they are to each other. It's just scary. But... We're, we don't worship words on a page. We worship what is said because it came from the mouth of God. I want to show you that in John chapter 1, and verse 3, it says, All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made, including, verse 4, life. Look at verse 4. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The word of God actually created everything. Every time you, you, you read about Greek gods and Roman gods and, and pagan gods and heathen gods, you read about all these things, there is usually a series of, of creative steps that the gods went through and the demigods went through, creating powers and devouring one another and then birthing new gods and things. It doesn't work that way. Uh, this, this word that is God is not a created God. He is the creator God. As a matter of fact, he created everything. Look at what it says there. How many things were made by him in verse 3? All things were created by him. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Let's see where Jesus shows up in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and uh, verse 1. Kind of cute how it begins at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. That's the summary. Boom. Now we're going to get into detail. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And, oh, here's somebody else. 
the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3, and stuck right into verse 3. Surprise of surprise. And God, what's the next word? Said. God spoke. The word of God went forth, it says. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Did you notice the Trinity? God. Turns out to be the Father, the Spirit. And then God, the Word. Look in verse 6. And God did what? said he didn't use his hands he spoke let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters look in verse 9 and god said that the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place let the dry land appear and it was so look at verse 11 and god said let the earth so each time guess who's creating everything god the word God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And I love the last four words. And it was so. <laughs> it just happened. Look in verse 16. It just gets gooder. And God made two great lights. We call them the sun and the moon. In the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons for years. Uh, I'm looking for where I'm going. Verse 15, let them be for lights in the firmament for the heavens to give light unto the earth. And it was so. That's pretty amazing to make a sun and a moon. But verse 16, uh, did I miss something? Yeah, no, verse 16 now. Uh, and God made two great lights, the greater to rule, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then he throws in this statement. He made the stars also. I mean, a hundred billion galaxies full of stars just appeared. And that's, that's a nightmare for an evolutionist because the evolutionist says, where's all the time? God doesn't need time. He made everything look old. When Adam was walking around, guess how old he was? He was not three seconds old. He looked about 30 years old, didn't he? When the trees were created, they already had fruit on them. And he made the stars, they already looked old. God has no problem with time. But Creating things and dirt and, and, and water is boring. You know where God actually had the fun? It was in creating life. Back there in verse 4 is where we're going to see this, this statement here. Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 4. And we're going somewhere, somewhere really important with this. Verse 4 says this, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus is the source of all life. You want life? Don't look in a bottle. Don't look for pills. Don't look for entertainment. Don't look for friends. They may have the night life, but they sure don't own the next morning. <laughs> if you want to have life, you're going to need to go to the source of life. It's called the, the law of biogenesis. Law of biogenesis says only life can bring life. Rocks and dirt and muck can't create anything. You've got to have something living to be able to produce something else living. That's a, that's a law, scientific law. And folks, the only reason why you're not just a clump of dirt is because of Jesus Christ. He thinks you're important enough to give life to and breath. He doesn't just give physical life, does he? He actually came along and he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask of him and he'd give you living water. I'll give you eternal life. So look at verse 4. Let's keep going because we're going somewhere with all this. We're going down to verse 14. God, the Word, gives life, also gives light. 
Verse 4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. Probably the most overlooked scripture in this chapter. The truth is, um, uh, God gives not only life, but light. The Dark Ages were a time of uh, incredible ignorance all over Europe. Religious leaders kept common people from learning to read and to write. Uh, it was actually during the Reformation, when people got back to the Bible, that uh, nations began to come under conviction by preachers who said the people need schools. The people need to learn how to read and write. Don't be afraid of the truth. And all across Europe, light blazed. Uh, but during that during that time during the time of uh, dark ages, which lasted almost a thousand years, nobody knew God. They only knew what people told them about God. Is that what you want? You just want me to tell you about God, or would you like to see it for yourself and believe it for yourself? Dark ages were a terrible time, but here's somebody who can um, instruct and guide and direct and teach and explain things to anybody who will take the time to listen to him. Jesus sat down and children listened to him. Grown men stopped what they were doing and sat there for days because Jesus made things plain. Jesus got men thinking. Jesus got men worried about their soul and about their families and about what, what, what God was doing. Jesus enlightens men. Um, so uh, when the Bible talks about in, uh, God is light and in him is no, no darkness at all, that's true about the Bible and it's true about Jesus. All he wants to do is give you the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, thankfully, the word had a witness. If I left this Bible up here and just set it up here, what good is it doing to anybody? All right? Now, it'd be nice if somebody came over and read it, but that'd be one person. If everybody queued up to try to read one Bible, and a lot of you have a Bible you don't pick up during the week, by the way, but a Bible on its own is kind of dead. It needs a witness. It needs somebody who will stand up and point to what it's saying. Let's go to John chapter 1 again, verse 4. I got to get back there. John 1, 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and okay, the darkness comprehended it not. But there was a man sent from God whose name was John. There are several Johns in the Bible. We're reading the Gospel of John, but this is John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him, through the word, might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, the word which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So here we have a witness. God sent a young man named John the Baptist. He had one job. He did no miracles. He never raised, uh, where's my picture? I thought I had a picture of him. Anyway, uh, he did no miracles. He never raised anyone from the dead. He never fed the poor. He never walked on water. He just preached. And he grabbed the attention of grown men and he pointed everyone's attention to hear what Jesus had to say. His whole job was to open the eyes of people so they could see the light. If you're ever asleep and somebody comes in your room, turns on the light, what do you do? You close your eyes tighter. <laughs> say, ah, turn off the light. It takes somebody to come along and to open your eyes to what's really going on. 
That's why nobody trusts the news media anymore. Nobody trusts social media. Nobody trusts anybody because all we've seen is lies and craziness. And, and we just close our eyes. And when a preacher stands up and tries to preach the Bible, we just go, nah, 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 nah. It's just more of the same. It's not, folks. Finally, the truth is being said. Somebody is trying to open your eyes. John did that. And uh, verse, uh, it tells you right there, verse six, verse eight, it says, he, John, was not that light. The Pharisees thought, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, no way, Jose. But he was sent to bear witness of that light. Jesus is that light. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He's who we have to deal with. Um, the reason, and I, I think this is really great. Look back there in verse 7. The same, this same John came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might, what? Believe. Now, this is crazy. Go down to verse 9. That was the true light, Jesus' true light, which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. What is trying to do? What is John trying to do? He's trying to take the truth that's already in everybody's hearts. There's enough truth. We call it a conscience. And he's trying to connect it with the word of God. And when he does that, it's so that we would believe. Our conscience says, I'm worried about death. My conscience says, I know I've done wrong. My conscience tells me all kinds of things, but I can't make a conclusion until somebody marries what I feel and what I understand with what is true. And that was John's whole purpose. Um, the, the apostle John saw the word, knew him, watched him, heard him, and followed him for three and a half years, and it changed his life. Look in verse 15. John bare witness of him, Jesus, and he cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, a long way before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What is John saying? John is saying something better's come. And it changed not only John, but it changed the whole nation of Israel. So what John did was he worked flat out to get people to connect their conscience, their heart of hearts, with the word of God so they would just believe. You know what it takes to get saved? Belief. You see, you believe a lot of things, but there's one step of trust and faith that saves your soul. You can trust an airplane that is not going to crash. You can trust a car that is going to start. You can trust a chair is going to hold you up. You can trust all kinds of things. It'll only do a little bit. But when you look to Jesus Christ and cry out from your heart and say, I trust you, there is a gift given. It's called the gift of eternal life. And you can have that. You say, well, I don't understand it all. John the Baptist never expected anybody to understand it. You know what he said? Believe it. Jesus didn't even say, well, you have to understand all this thing. He said, if you just believe. So John the Baptist is a very important witness because guess what we're supposed to be today? The same. There are people who are living and dwelling in darkness and they need somebody like John who will open their eyes and say, this book's the truth. But here's the best part. Go back to verse 14. Verse 14 says, in the word was made flesh. I think it's the greatest miracle ever. Now, I like astronomy. I like reading about the universe and galaxies and nebulas. And the creation of the universe is an awesome thing to study and to 
ponder. But it's nothing like this greatest miracle here. The word became flesh. Now, what that means is simply God became a man. He's the second person of the Trinity who's an invisible. You can't see my words. In just that same way, God's word was invisible. And yet he entered our world as a real baby. Go to 1 John, a few scriptures here. First, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm praying something I say would prick your heart and you would realize, you know what, this is true. 1 Timothy 3.16. I like how Paul writes this. He says, without controversy, without, without argument, great is the mystery of godliness, not just God life, but God in life. Look, God was visible in the flesh. That's what he writes. He was manifest in the flesh. Go to Galatians 4. Back to the left, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, at the right time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus came, was born of the Old Testament rules. All the laws were binding on him. And that was the right time for him to come because then he could live it and he could be our substitute. We'll talk about that in the end here. Say, that's not possible. Really? Do you really believe that? Go to Luke chapter 1. I actually had a Jew I worked with when I, Luke chapter one, when I worked for the telephone company, I had a Jewish, I had two Jewish, one a guy and one a woman who I worked with. And whenever I gave them the gospel, Christmas was always upsetting for them uh, because I would hand them a gospel track and invite them out to church and wish them Merry Christmas, you know, and all this stuff. Ah, they were really upset. And they just says, that's impossible. God would become a man. I mean, really? Let me show you another verse <laughs> is what I would do. Uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 34. Luke 1, 34, then said Mary, the angels told her she's going to have a baby. And Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, She's old. <laughs> she hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, I like those next words, nothing shall be impossible. So just when you say, I, I, I just can't believe it. Obviously you can't, but God made it so that you can. You just do. You see, as the word, he had no shape, no form. Like we, you know, I mean, can't hold his hand. But when he came down, he came as a baby. He had shape and form and he had all the problems we do. Jesus was fully human in every way. He cried as a baby. He hungered and was tired. He grew up. I mean, you got to think about it. He was a teenager who had all the pains of stretching and growing, just like any young man. <clears throat> And he experienced all the discomforts and disappointments of any normal human life. He was all human. Go to Isaiah, back to the left, 
Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, because I want to tell you, when God became man, he never stopped being God. Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 9, 6. Again, all of these are great Christmas verses. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son has been given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's going to be a ruler. His name shall be called Wonderful. Now, I'm sure you've called somebody else. Oh, you're wonderful. <laughs> all right, let's keep going. It gets better. Counselor. And he's called, what's the next three words? The mighty God. <clears throat> even goes even further. The everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. He's God, even though he's man. Absolutely unbelievable. Jews freak out this, this thought. Matter of fact, uh, the arguments, and it's just, it turned into arguments, and I go, forget it, forget it, forget it. But in the discussion time, they basically would try to rationalize. It. That's, that's a foolish, it's very humiliating. Why would God become a man? It was funny when I would witness to a Muslim, guess what? They would say the same thing. Why would God humble himself and become a man? And I'd say, that's the answer. That God that you know <clears throat> is almighty. He did humble himself. And as humiliating as it was, he came and he lived among us. That's the Christmas story. <laughs> Humanists freak out at it because it's just unreasonable. Just That doesn't make any sense. Well, guess what? He doesn't have to. That's God loving sinful. You know, my sin and our problem is sin. Our problem is not lack of money. Our problem is not health. Our problem is not emotional, physical. Our problem is spiritual. And the only way for God to fix Messed up lives is by coming into this world and as a perfect man, letting us put him on that cross and think we've got rid of him. And three days later, later rising up and saying, now follow me. And as the word that became flesh, he becomes our savior. So he came. But is that all he did? No. This part's going to be in preparation for next week. He dwelt among us. Go to John chapter 1, verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is the best part. This is the most amazing, incredible, unbelievable words ever written. Do you always want to be around some people? <laughs> There's some people I'm sure you go, I sure hope I don't see them in court today. <laughs> Here, God actually lived and dwelt among us. And here's the most amazing thing. He still wants to. He still wants to. Jesus dwelt right among normal people. Look at verse 26. I thought this was very humorous because John is being asked, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that should come? In verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize with water. Because they asked, why do you baptize? He says, I'm just baptized with water. Don't worry about the water. But there standeth one among you, which ye know not. He is he. He it is who coming after me is before me, whose shoes latches I'm not worthy and unloose. And he goes on. He says, he's right here. <laughs> and you don't even know it. Um, he lived his life. Back to verse 14. John calls it gloriously. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Now, according to Isaiah 52, it says that he had no physical beauty that anybody would go, oh, 
look at that handsome man. No, he had no attractiveness about him. And yet John says, we saw his glory. What did he see? He saw a perfect life. He saw somebody that never manipulated anybody, never lied, never took advantage of anybody. Every, every step that Jesus took was in the direction of people. It was in obedience to the will of God. He was the perfect man who never sinned, never failed. He never cared for anything else than others. He never broke any of God's laws. He was glorious to see because he was so natural. It wasn't mechanical like the Pharisees were. The Pharisees spent hours dolling themselves up in the most extravagant of religious garb <clears throat> and then would walk through the crowds and expect people to to, to, to part like the Red Sea. And they, <clears throat> they would stand and put on the performance of prayer. And people said, that's a Pharisee. But when Jesus came in, it was so natural. It was glory. It was perfect. And if anybody <clears throat> would just take time to watch him and listen to him, Jesus becomes glorious. Did for me. I never read my Bible. <clears throat> When I started going to church and that man of God preached from the pulpit and he preached and he preached and he just read this book and he said, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. This is what God wants. All of a sudden, I, I sat there for the first couple of times looking at the Bible, listening to him, trying to process it all. But you know what made the difference? I read it for myself. I let it talk to me. And all of a sudden I saw, this is like no other life I've ever seen. Nobody's ever talked like this, man. Nobody's ever let anybody just whip them and beat them and not cry out, this is not right, I am innocent. He, I can't tell you how awesome it was when it finally hit me. He's glorious. And 2,000 years later, as I said, the greatest truth is that he still wants to live among us. That's the Christmas story. He didn't come and abandon us. He didn't come and visit the world and they say, bye-bye, you're on your own. No, he says, I'm leaving. But when the Holy Spirit comes back, that'll be me in you. And that's the Christmas story. You see, by summary, see, the Christmas story is not finished. And that's what I want to start here with for next week. A summary is this. The word of God is just not pages in a Bible, but when it says the word became flesh, we're learning the word is a person. Jesus, the word of God created everything that there is, even you. You know, my parents told me I was an accident. You are no accident, okay? <laughs> God, the word enlightens men. You want to you wanna learn something? Ezra writes in Psalm 119, he says, I know more than all my teachers because I keep thy precepts. He, he can tell you, you got, and I had in, infinitely, incredibly smart teachers in, in college, and in high school, I went to the University of Texas, went to the astronomy department at 15 years old and would be there every Friday night getting classes on astronomy and stuff like this. These guys were, were astronomically more smart than me. But you know what? When I got saved, I knew a little bit more than they did. I know more than all my teachers because I believe this book and I love it and I live it. The Bible Jesus enlightens men with the truth. And the word had a witness named John the Baptist. You know what the word needs today? A witness today. You. And this word became flesh. 
proves nothing is impossible. If, if, if words, which are invisible, can become a baby, can he not do something and speak into your life and do something impossible? And he dwelt among us. That's the Christmas story. Now I want to finish with two thoughts. There in John 1.14 is the reason for Christmas. Guess what it is? Look in verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among. So guess the reason for Christmas is you and me. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name. What's his name? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Great name. And in Matthew 1.23, Matthew helps us understand what the word Emmanuel means. It says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. So the purpose of Christmas is us. The reason for it is us. He came with us in his mind. You know what he wants to be? With us forever. You know, he actually invites, he says, if you'll trust me, you can spend eternity with me. He doesn't want to say, if you trust me, I'll fix your life and then I'll leave you alone. That's not Christianity. Actually, he says, I want you. And we can be together forever. Jesus says in John 14, he says, <clears throat> I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you'll always be with me. Isn't that cool? <clears throat> so the reason for Christmas is you. But there's one thing stopping him from making sure Christmas works, and that's you. <laughs> Look there in verse 10. John 1, verse 10, he was in the world. And I mean, he's, and the world was, it'd be like Elon Musk, this guy walking in SpaceX factory, or I mean, in any one of his businesses, and he's walking along, and there's this person, and they're working away, and they look up and says, who are you? And Elon says, uh, nobody, don't worry. And he walks on. <laughs> the guy didn't know he was Elon, the owner of all these companies. You understand what I'm saying? That was Jesus who created everything is walking here and nobody knew him. Verse 11, he came into his own, his own people. And his own received him not. They rejected him. The Jewish nation, oh, they had the Bible. They had the prophets. They had every reason why they should be looking for him. And yet they actually rejected him. They wanted somebody else to save them. They wanted somebody else to be their Messiah. Jesus, you, you kind of don't look like we want. So they nail him on a cross and they murdered their Messiah. But it says in verse 12, I like these words, but as many as received him. I like that. As many, and he's got plenty of room. He says, as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Mary received him. She said, I rejoice in God, my Savior. I needed Jesus, Mary said. But as many as receive him still today, God will give you power to become the sons of God. And you're not, look at it, verse 13, you're not born again of blood. Uh, eternal life is not passed on in genes just because you're blood relative to your parents who may be saved. That doesn't make you saved. It's not blood that passes on spirituality. It's not because you will it, not the will of the, of the, uh, of the flesh. You can't just wake up and say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian now. You can't do that. That's like saying, 
okay, uh, I'm Tishik now. No. Oh, uh, okay, I'm a doctor now. <laughs> you may have been when you were six years old, but you are not now, okay? You can't just wake up and will it. Verse 13 says, we're not, which were born, again, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man. Do you know what? Paul stood there in front of Agrippa and he says, you believe the gospel, don't you? I, I know you do. You know what John, what Paul is saying? I, I want to believe for you, but I can't. You have to believe. Nobody can will. No godparents can affect you and get you into the kingdom of God. Who's stopping you from getting saved? You are. It says that your new birth comes from God. We have to let, where's my statement? Him into our lives. Jesus was not welcome the first day, was he? No room, no room in the end. Go away, go away, go away. He wasn't welcome the first day. And he's still not welcome today. But don't be a fool. Go to Revelation chapter 3 <clears throat> and we're done. I think we are. Yes, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3 and verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will hear my voice and open the door, where is he? He's outside. He says, if you'll just open the door, I will come in. And we'll sup with him and he with me and we'll have a relationship. We'll have family. We've got to let him in. See, some people think, well, if God's so powerful, why don't he just go ahead and save everybody? That's not how he works. That's not love. That's not relationship. He waits for you to say, come on in. Come on in. Don't neglect him. Hebrews 2, 3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect? Well, I'll get saved when I get older. I'll repent when I feel like it. I'll, I'll cry out to God when it really becomes important to me. Don't neglect it. How shall you escape the judgment of God if you neglect so great? salvation you and i need to own up to the fact that we're sinners we're in serious trouble with our creator who entered who god didn't just create this world and says let's see how this thing turns out okay he actually entered into this world to try to save it it was it was messed up he couldn't reprogram it he had to step in and says i'll save it from the inside you have to realize we're the problem the problem is not the creator the problem's us who want to do our own thing. You give somebody free will, and they do right, they probably do wrong. <laughs> and we do wrong. And then you get the chance to repent and turn to God. And if you just, if you just receive him as a gift, God will save you. You'll be given the greatest gift ever. How many like to have a good Christmas this year? I mean, it'd be nice if COVID was gone, but if it's not, it'd be nice to have a good Christmas, family around, joy. Everything just fine. You don't have to have the best Christmas. Don't worry about presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, -E -E but God's presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-S-E. E-N-C-E-S-E-N-S-E. -E -E -E. Don't do that to me. Anyway, <laughs> I'm trying to get to my point. Don't worry about presents. Worry about he wants to be present with me. I don't understand that. I still wake up in the morning and I just go, whoo. He's here. I know Jesus is coming back physically, but I already got him. 41 years ago, I got Christmas. I got the present. 
I got the gift. Father, just uh, in this moment, we bow our heads and we try to ponder this great verse and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. <clears throat> I don't think any of us, if we ever had any big responsibility, we created something, we made something, we built something, and if it went so wrong, wonder if any of us would really take real responsibility and step in there and take the blame, even though it's not our blame, and then take all the pain, take all the error, take everything that's wrong, and put it on you, put it on me. I mean, I don't think there's hardly any of us that would actually do that. We kind of just hit the reset button, walk away. Yeah, you didn't do that. You love your creation. And you loved us enough to step into this world and live like we did and put up with what we put up with and feel everything we feel. You know what it's like to be us. And then you allowed religious and political leaders to put you on a cross at the behest, at their demand of the common people. You allowed people to nail your hands to the cross and hang you on that tree and leave you there to die. When you weren't finished, <clears throat> three days later, you got up to prove everything's true, everything's right in your, in your, in your plan. We can trust you. Lord, the gospel, Christmas is the start, cross is the finish, and the only thing stopping everyone in this room and anybody listening to my voice from getting in on it is belief. It's enough to say, okay, I accept. Lord, would you please help somebody, everybody, especially in this room as Christians, help us just ponder this great reality that you still want to dwell with us. And we can invite you in and it'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.